0: Which U.S. women's soccer player scored the game-winning goal in penalty kicks in the 1999 World Cup final?
1: Mia Hamm? You don't
0: answer me. Welcome to Trivial Context, I'm Sean.
1: I'm Brooke. Mia Hamm? <laughs>
0: Brandy Chastain. Oh. Yeah, I was never going to get that. One more.
1: If I would have thought about it for a second, I might have gotten it right. Hmm. Really? Really? Yeah, I mean, there's like three or four oh, major th- <laughs> I gotcha. like women.
0: All uh, right, Sriracha hot sauce features which animal in its logo? The Chinese zodiac sign of its creator David Tram. The Chinese chicken. Fowl. <laughs> what do you mean? The <laughs> chicken is a fowl.
1: Read the second. Time.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's true. The Chinese zodiac of its creator, something Tran. Mm-hmm. David. David Tran. Yeah. It is the chicken.
1: Did you see the entertainment question? No. Fans of which long-running reality TV show voted Boston Rob of Mariano, its all-time greatest contestant?
0: Survivor. That's a good show.
1: Oh, Russell Hance came in second.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Also,
1: oh, I was going to say Rooster, and the correct answer is Rooster. Ah,
0: uh, well, he didn't, so I'm right. Well. And I will go first.
1: That's fine, but I think it's cheating. <laughs> We each chose today's topic based on one of the six trivia categories picked randomly last week. This week is sports and leisure.
0: Yeah. So to kick off my report, Brooke, what was the St. Louis Cardinals original name?
1: Is it like the Bears?
0: It's not like the Bears. It
1: is the Bears? No. Oh.
0: It is not like the Bears, nor is it the Bears. Professional baseball began in St. Louis with the inception of the Brown Stockings.
1: Ugh, I knew it had something to do with brown.
0: <laughs> Called out all of the Black Bears. <laughs> and Polar.
1: True. I'm fine with that. Yeah.
0: So the Brown Stockings started in the National Association in 1875.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The National Association folded following that season. Oh. And the next season, St. Louis joined the National League. As they try to remember, finishing in third place. The National League expelled St. Louis from the league after 1877, so two years later, due to a game-fixing scandal, and the team went bankrupt, no longer competing in any away games. (laughs) So my report is on a specific player that I'll get to in a moment. I just think it's funny that baseball is kind of just starting out, and already there's been two leagues. And they've already burned through both of them. Yeah. For the 1882 season, so five years from then, Chris Von Derach, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, purchased the team, reorganized it, and made it a founding member of the American Association, a league to rival the National League. Their name was shortened to the Browns instead of the Brown Stockings. Then changed soon after to the Perfectos. As the Perfectos, the team wore their jersey with a cardinal red trim and sock striping back in the National League. As the American League went bankrupt later that season...
1: (laughs) Baseball had a rough first go.
0: (laughs) It did. St. Louis Republic sports writer Willie McHale included an account in the column of a female fan he heard remarking about the uniforms. What a lovely shade of cardinal. Fans liked the, mon- the moniker Cardinals, and the next year in 1900, popularity for the nickname induced an official change to Cardinals. So we went to our first Cardinals game. A month ago. Yeah, just a month ago, and it was awesome. Amazing. It really was good. Um,
1: Lucked out with some pretty good seats.
0: Yeah, I've been to a few major league games, but always in the nosebleeds, and also always at the Brewers in Milwaukee. Never really been a big fan of baseball but i'm, I'm not a f- big fan of really any sport if it's not live mm-hmm. personally maybe bas- basketball that'd probably be my number one professional basketball go okc thunder but yeah your family
1: we're big into baseball so i'm from <laughs> i lived to a place called farmington new mexico where nothing really ever happens except for the connie mack world series which yeah. has been held for over 50 years no idea why it landed in Farmington, but it's still going strong. Yeah. and
0: I've been, only because I know you.
1: Yes. <laughs> but it was, it was cool and fun. Yeah, this will be the second time in my entire life that I'll miss it this year. Yeah. So.
0: Well, to supplement your loss of Connie Mack, I'm going to tell you about...
1: Other baseball things. Uh,
0: other baseball things. Perfect. So jumping forward a bit to the timeline of our current topic, in the 1940s, a golden era emerged. It was one of the most successful decades in franchise history, with one, or with 960 wins and 580 losses, for a winning percentage higher than any major league team at .623. I'm not going to go into a lot of game statistics, because for me, I don't so understand boring. them, and it's very boring. So
1: As a baseball fan, so boring.
0: Yeah, it really boils the game down into... Um, I don't know. The way they do it in Moneyball, it looks so fun. And then you like look into it for a little report you're going to do on your little podcast, and it's so boring. <laughs> so, very few statistics, though I will still have a couple. But this sh- streak of success was due in large part to a stunning lineup of extremely talented ballplayers, but in no small part by the topic of today's report. Stanley Frank Musial or Stan the Man? A. So Stan was born in DeNora, Penn, in 1920. <laughs> Sorry, DeNora, Pennsylvania. I was like in 1920. Young Stan frequently played baseball with his brother Ed and other friends during his childhood, and considered Lefty Grove his favorite ball player. After briefly considering a career in professional basketball because he's just an athletic guy, yeah. to which he had received a scholarship too, uh, Stan decided to continue with baseball. The Cardinals had scouted him and offered him a contract, but Stan credits his librarian for ultimately showing him his real passion was in baseball.
1: As all librarians do.
0: Yes, that's in their job description. Mm -hmm. In total, he spent 22 seasons in Major League Baseball playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. From 41 to 44, he took a quick break to join the U.S. Navy for the end of the First World War. He was assigned to a ferry launch unit, to bring back damaged ship crews entering Pearl Harbor where he was able to play baseball every afternoon in the naval base's eight-team league. In 1946, so just after the war, he was back with the Cardinals. So why am I talking about Stan Musial? What was so incredible about him? Well, according to Stan Musial and American Life, Stan was widely considered to be one of the greatest and most consistent hitters in baseball history. Musial was a first ballot inductee into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1969. He batted .331 over the course of his career and set National League records for his career hits, 3630 3, hits. His 475 career home runs then ranked second in the National League behind Mel Ott's total of 511. A seven-time batting champion, he was named the National League's most valuable player three times and was a member of three World Series championship teams. He also shares the Major League record for the most All-Star games played, with Hank Aaron and Willie Mays at 24. Wow. His hitting was so consistently good that opponents often resigned themselves to their fate. As noted by pitcher Carl Erskine, I've had pretty good success with Stan by throwing him my best pitch and backing up third. <laughs> at the time of his retirement, he held or shared... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please leave that in Hailed or
0: shared. 17 Major League records, 29 National League records, and 9 All-Star Game records. Baseball statistician and all-time nerd Bill James and the Sabermetrics movement began providing new ways of comparing players across baseball history. In 2001, James ranked Musial the 10th greatest baseball player in history and the second best left fielder of all time. He, He retired after the 1963 season. So Brooks, do you have a favorite ball player?
1: So as much as we like baseball, I've only been to two professional games,
0: and one was last month.
1: And one was last month.
0: Oh wow, I've been to more th- more than you. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in a place that, like, the Diamondbacks, I guess, are our closest. Yeah, and they're professional far professional team. Yeah. So I think wh- who I said subs- the Braves. I grew up with the Braves. Yes. Yeah like my family's team.
0: Yeah, and I was born in Georgia, so.
1: Yeah, so we have that in common. <laughs> Braves as
0: well, yeah. Your dad said, I'm not going to come visit you until the Braves come to play the Cardinals. Yeah. Which he broke anyway, but I thought that was very funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he d- Yeah, he wasn't really interested in going to, I thought he'd be so excited to go to a game. Yeah. And then he was like, are they playing the Braves? No, no, I don't really care. But <laughs> I think he had a really good time. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first game I went to was with a friend in LA. We went to do an Angels and Giants game, and they have a player named Mike Trout, mm-hmm. and my nickname is Trout.
0: So you're like, Mike's my guy?
1: Yeah, so I have an a Angels shirt with, a, with his name on the back that says Trout, and yeah. a home run was scored by the team, and I want to say it was by Trout, the game we went to. Yeah. So... I would say currently it's him, but not for any yeah. other reason kind of. I, I guess there was a couple like cool ones, but I don't follow him or anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, Mike Trout.
0: Yeah. My favorite I don't yeah, I don't really do a lot of baseball. In the game that we watched, which was against the Brewers, which is funny, the only like home run that was hit by the Cardinals was by the first baseman.
1: Goldschmidt or something? Yeah,
0: Goldschmidt or something. So I guess he's my favorite, and he was cool. Like he caught a couple balls, yeah, and he just seems like a cool guy. He had a mustache.
1: Our seats were so like we could see the. P- we were literally sitting right behind their dugout. Yeah, like we like, were row gifted one. tickets. Yeah, yes. we were gifted tickets. <laughs> so, row A. Ro- sorry, Row A. <laughs> so we could just see the players Sweat. so close, and like <laughs> I don't know, like everyone just seemed to have like a good rapport. Mm-hmm. I agree. It was very
0: fun. We lost that game but
1: just by a little just by a little so it doesn't count
0: <laughs> so just uh finish up with musial's post retirement
1: just retirement yeah so to <laughs> that's
0: death <laughs> so to finish up with musial's retirement he was named a vice president of the st louis cardinals in 1963 and he remained in that position until the 1966 season From February 64 to 67, he also served as President Lyndon B. Johnson, President of the American... Sorry, President of the United States. Uh,
1: President of the Americans, yes.
0: (laughs) Physical fitness advisor.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. It was a part-time position created to promote better fitness among American citizens, which we need desperately.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) His interactions with presidents do not stop there. From Musial, delivered the ceremonial first pitch ball to President Barack Obama at the 2009 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Oh, that's... A Stan the Man Day was held in his honor by the Cardinals on May 18th, 2008. And in 2010, another one of the Cardinals' greatest sluggers, Albert Pujol, whose nickname was El Hombre, which means the man in Spanish, mm-hmm. said he didn't want to be called the man even in Spanish because there is one man that gets that respect, and that is Stan Musial. Oh. And then finally, in 2011, uh, Musil was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama, who called him an icon untarnished, a beloved pillar of the community, a gentleman you'd want your kids to emulate.
1: How nice. I know. I'm looking up a picture of him. Oh, what a cute guy. Look at him. (laughs) Oh, spoiler.
0: Yep. My last sentence. (laughs) So... He was an amazing ball player, 10th according to his statistics, but I say one in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And in January nineteenth, two 2013, surrounded by his family, Stan the man died at the age of 92 of natural causes at his home in Ladue, Missouri. Nice. Yeah. Very cool guy. I knew I wanted to do something Cardinals because we had, just when I had name. started writing this, it was a <laughs> bit more fresh, uh, <laughs> the game we had just visited.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, it turns out we have a great guy yeah who was with us never left for another team and just was one of the all-time greats
1: heart good job
0: thanks that is my report i loved it some of that was a surprise to me because again i wrote it so quite long a long ago. time
1: ago well here's a fun fact so we meant to record this yeah like three weeks ago but this last month has been crazy Yes. Yeah,
0: parent her parents visited my parents visited we went to california we're back. Yeah. And we're leaving tomorrow. Yeah. Again, so we have to squeeze it in
1: But um be because we were going to California I thought, Oh, I'm gonna do something with Disneyland and Perfect. I decided that I was gonna do the history of like Pirates of the Caribbean, like the ride and stuff. And then when we were going to go ride it... You did it, tell
0: me this, yeah.
1: It was going to be really cool because we'd know... Like, all the all history the, and stuff. And all the, like, inside uh, secrets or whatever. I'm glad that didn't happen because we got <laughs> because there. It was, it
0: was closed.
1: Yep, it's closed for refurbishment. So, <laughs> what would it be always Oh, we would
0: have built it up so much. I know. Yeah. And
1: to be fair, like, I did do some research, so... But...
0: Oh, so it was disappointing for you?
1: Yeah, but that's fine. Um, We still had a good time.
0: It was, it was a great time.
1: So... I had, like, a three choices I was kind of going with. So I just went to my choice number two, which turned out to be choice number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready? Yes. Do you know what... Have you, did you see my computer? No, I have not. Oh, okay. great. What toy invented in 1974 was Walmart's best-selling toy in 2015?
0: 2015? Oh, 74? Would it be, uh, wouldn't be the lightsaber. That was three years later. 74, 74, 74, 2015, I don't know, I didn't buy toys when I was 17. <laughs> I will go with the yo-yo.
1: Oh, that is a good guess. This is the Rubik's Cube? It is the Rubik's oh, Cube. Oh no, <laughs> I was between those two. Um. Yeah.
0: The Rubik's Cube, mm-hmm. I can solve it. I have one right here. Oh no, it's in the basement. <laughs> I was gonna do like Rubik's Cube.
1: Noises, Yeah. ASMR. <laughs> Oh, you did find it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Walmart alone had $111 million in retail sales that year. In May 2014, on the 40th birthday of the Rubik's Cube, Google displayed like a Google Doodle where you could, where they had like an interactive 3D cube. And as of 2018, over 350 million have sold. Making it the best selling puzzle toy ever. And I don't know how big that yeah. category
0: is. Yeah, I was about to say, not a lot of competition, I imagine.
1: <laughs> but it's still the, really impressive.
0: Is the boppet considered a puzzle toy? Because I love the boppet. <laughs> Twist it, pull it,
1: smack it.
0: No. Flick it is sometimes one.
1: Oh, yeah. Anyway, this is not <laughs> about the boppet. <laughs> so I apologize. All right, so the story all begins with a man named Erno Rubik. Erno <laughs> was an architecture and design teacher and a puzzle fanatic, and a bit of a genius as well. Good for him. He's a really cool guy. He was a young professor, just a few years older than his students. Wow. And it was really, really important for him to find new and interesting ways to teach his classes. And he really wanted to figure out a way that his students could visualize the concepts they were being taught. He was trying to create a math model for a 3D design. And basically, yeah, it's like the visualization... Of like mechanics three-dimensionally. I saw somewhere that the first model was made out of paper and paper clips. I mean like the idea yes. of it was... That's cool. Seems fragile. Yeah. Just in case you don't know what a Rubik's Cube is, it is a cube that has three by three colored squares. Mm-hmm. So there's 54 faces on the cube and then The big cube is made up of 27 little cubes, also known as cubies. Fun. Yeah. So the way that it is, is basically there's a sphere in the middle.
0: Yeah, I've cracked one open once to see how it works. Yeah, and then... There was a sphere in the middle. I can't can't confirm. Can't
1: confirm. Yeah, so then all the cubies are connected to each other. So if you were to take all the cubies off, basically there's a ball with six arms sticking out of the Mm -hmm. center. So it looks like a 3D plus sign. Yeah. Kind of. So the idea is you can shift these cubies around so that every face of the overall cube is the same color yes so rubik makes this cube and now he has the issue that he needs to solve it (laughs) um it took him about a month to find a solution and he will be the first to admit it wasn't the most direct way uh, do you know how many possible ways there are to solve a Rubik's cube?
0: I would say it's approaching billion.
1: We have approached and surpassed.
0: Is it approaching trillion?
1: We have approached and passed.
0: I don't know. It's about quintillion.
1: Yep. 43 quintillion Whoa. ways Wow. to solve the cube. We'll get into it later. But people, there is some science and some math. Gotcha. Behind these things So it was originally called The Magic Cube The Beavish Koshka In Hungarian Which is where he was born I don't know if I mentioned that earlier And because he was behind the Iron Curtain It only was popular in his own country Right like nothing left He originally He ordered 10,000 to be produced But he didn't like the way it was turning out So he stopped production at 5,000 And he he just kind of like thought that would be the end of it like, he created this cube. It wasn't getting the... Recognition? Yeah, he was, he seems like a very cool down-to-earth guy. Good. And it was just kind of like, alright, well, I made some. Moving on with my life. But, this all changed when a man, an entrepreneur, by the name of Tibor Laxi, I think is how you pronounce it, came into the picture. He was Hungarian-born, but was able to move to Austria for a while. So that really got his, like, entrepreneurial mind going and he saw a waiter playing with it he was intrigued so he bought it for a dollar realized that this could be a big deal
0: it feels like one of those oh i invested in apple when it was a garage and now i'm a billionaire yeah
1: Yeah. hunted down erno and said hey let's go places with this he then took it all around europe like the places he could to toy fairs that's fun yeah Apparently that used to be a thing. Probably still is. We just don't want really to hear about it. And he landed in one in Nuremberg where he got connections to Ideal Toy Company. And they bought the, like, global rights to produce it. And they ordered a million. And they decided to name it, rename it, Rubik's Cube. Perfect. So from Magic Cube <laughs> to Rubik's Cube. In two years, they sold a hundred million. Wow. It immediately won toy awards. They listed them, but... I don't think anybody cares. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It won
0: awards. Good for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to show it became popular very quickly. Yes. Um, by 1982, so it comes out in 1980, like it's released to the public in 1980. Two years later, there are five books on the New York Times bestsellers list on how to solve the cube.
0: Have you ever been able to?
1: I've never, I've never tried. Would you like to? Um, I don't know. This has intrigued me, but it also...
0: Has intimidated you a little?
1: Yeah, like, I really thought that you kind of just, like, fell into it. But after doing this, like, it's an algorithm. Like, you memorize... Yeah.
0: The way it was explained to me... Because when I was a kid, and like feel that I had no idea how to do it. But then, yeah, someone told me a piece will always be a piece. So a blue, white, red piece will always blue be a blue, white, red piece. If that's a corner piece. So that'll patriotic. Al- that will always be a, a a piece. So you just have to get that piece... Have the blue side facing the blue, have the white facing the white, and the red facing the red, because the six center pieces can't move. Mm-hmm. And then you have to get the white-blue piece next to the blue-white-red piece, and have the white touch the white, touch the white, and the blue touch the blue, touch the blue. And then you just kind of branch out from there, and that really helps a lot. Like, being told that it's not 64... Faces. It's twenty seven pieces, mm-hmm. and these six don't move. Was all I needed to really understand it and, and start to go through it. Yeah. Not that I did it quickly, but
1: <laughs> right. Well, I I guess there's ways, but, and they have different names and like techniques to do it.
0: I I've heard of the white cross technique. Yeah, I think that's what you it's called. Yeah, you fill out the white, starting with the edge pieces and then the corner pieces, and then you move up the rubik's cube to finish the yellow face last
1: yeah so there's a million and yeah these books it'll say like 6l which means you move a piece six turns or three or turns on the left side or something Wow. so that is how the books are i don't know like it'd be kind of interesting to play with it but i also it feels like a lot (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um but, yeah, I, I didn't realize how, I guess, mathematical it was. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more of just, like, a practice thing. And it is. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think there's two ways. I think it's the way that you can memorize all of these different algorithms, mm-hmm. or you can figure out how it works and, and trial and error until you solve it. And I think one's more fulfilling than the other.
1: Yeah. Getting back to what we were talking about. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. But I think it, they said books 1, 2, and 4 on that list. So, like, of the top five, three of them were about the Rubik's Cube. And one of those was written by a 12 year old boy. Oh, cute. Yeah. It was like
0: a little pamphlet or like a little booklet.
1: Yeah, just how to solve the Rubik's Cube. That's interesting. It's called You Can Do the Cube by Patrick Bosser. It sold over 1.5 million copies and it has become a universal bestseller. And you can still purchase it. That's so
0: cute. I'm looking at a picture of him now.
1: Like, straight out of the 80s. Yeah,
0: that's a bowl cut.
1: Yeah, so, kind of fun. There's a medical condition associated with the Rubik's Cube. It is called cubist thumb, and it's when your non-dominant hand gets tendonitis from holding the cube for so long.
0: Wow, okay.
1: It also broke the rules of toys.
0: Wow. Set in all kinds of records.
1: Yeah, because at the time, like, I mean, not at the time, still today, like, People produce toys... To be bought. Yeah, (laughs) well... So, like, this didn't need batteries. It didn't need accessories to go with it. It wasn't going to break or go out of date, so you would need another. Like...
0: Oh, so people could still have one from 82.
1: There was a dip. So it got really popular, and then for about 15 years... Yeah. Dipped, and then in the early 2000s, it spiked back up.
0: Do you know why that was?
1: I don't know why it dipped, but it came back because speed... Cubing became a thing. Oh. So there was. It's so like
0: YouTube or, or something like that where you can share videos mm-hmm. yep, with everybody. Yeah, all social media. Yep. Yeah.
1: So the Rubik's Cube comes out in 1980. The next year, countries start holding speed cubing competitions. So, like, pretty immediately. And then, yeah, it like dies down. And then, yeah, like YouTube, people started getting more and more competitive. Yeah. So then it, it grows. Um, and now you can do it. They have, like, different categories where you can do it, like, blindfolded, you do it with your feet, you do it one-handed. Like, there's all these different Jeez. ways you can do it. The fastest, do you want to take a guess on the current record for fastest time to solve a Rubik's Cube?
0: Well, I've seen these videos, like, scrolling through stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm going to guess, like, under 3 seconds, maybe under 2 sec- like, 1.8 seconds.
1: Oof. Uh... The fastest a human can do it. The world record is 3.47 seconds. Three point four. By Yusheng Du. And he said it in 2018. We kind of talked about this earlier, but this has become like quite the mathematical phenomenon. So, And yeah. they have like computer programs to figure say, it out.
0: Like, so did he have like two or three less turns he had to do? And that's why he got points, whatever seconds faster than somebody else? Like, how was that fair? So. Or did they every- have like a, like a set? randomization that they always do.
1: So I think everyone is given the same cube. You have fifteen seconds to decide how you want to solve it. Oh. And then so again it it kind of comes back to memorizing all these algorithms where then you can look at something and be like, Okay, this algorithm is the fastest way to get it and they have you can buy speed cube. I mean a Rubik's cube does not cost that much money like a regular one. No, yeah. You can do get a speed one where it's really well like like, there's professionals who literally like make sure there's no bumps or holes or anything like that so they just fly yeah they have robots who can solve rubik's cubes and they do it under a second
0: under a second wow
1: again i did not realize how like mathematical a rubik's cube is
0: well i mean that's at the top level yeah i don't expect you to solve it in four seconds
1: Yeah, but still. Now, another thing I don't feel qualified at all to talk about is something that's called God's algorithm. (laughs) And essentially... Interesting. (laughs) That's how many moves it would take God to solve all 43 quintillion ways, like possibilities. So all things... So like the the
0: max amount of moves it would take giving any orientation of the cube. mm -hmm. Okay.
1: So you can always get from point A to done in 20 moves max interesting yeah i don't know how they figured that out but they did yeah i mean i get into the i don't really feel do qualified to talk about moves. it so don't ask me any more questions besides that because <laughs> i don't
0: that's cool though that's really interesting
1: yeah
0: i love that chose the rubik's cube <laughs> that's a very funny topic
1: well i was like i did sports last time so i'll do leisure this time yeah. what's leisure Toys. Or like playing.
0: Yeah. I told the line between sports and leisure with bowling last time, but I wanted yeah. to do Pure sports straight up and down.
1: I just wanna say really this is just kind of like a fun side story. As mentioned before, it was created behind the iron curtain. So that makes like patenting weird and stuff. And other people had come up with other similar things to the Rubik's Cube.
0: Like before or after?
1: Like at the same time ish. Oh interesting. So and had patented it like in in America. For example, <laughs> a man named Larry Nichols had his own version of a of a cube, but his was two instead of three.
0: Oh, I've done a two by two.
1: Yeah. I mean, a Rubik's Cube took off and his thing was like, oh, that's really cool that a thing I invented is doing really well. Like, yeah. that's awesome. And the toy company was like, yeah, we're going to sue this guy because he's infringing on your patent. And he actually won and he was awarded 50 million dollars. And he was like, oh, cool. But then it was appealed a little bit later. Yeah. And uh, they said that he only had, like, the patent only covered the two-by-two. Two.
0: Yeah, well, that's fair.
1: Yeah. However, somehow he still got to keep the money. I I don't really know. But one day he was interviewed and asked about it. And he was like, yeah, honestly, I'm super happy. I was able to send all three of my kids to Harvard. Like, what else? Oh,
0: wait. yeah, hey, that, yeah. that's a win.
1: But I just so often you hear like "Ah, oh, he stole my idea yeah da, like da, the da. mcdonald's yeah. brothers yeah and it's just kind of like ah, that's really cool we came up with the same idea Yeah, that's really great i got to send my kids to harvard like life yeah. is good so that's, that's
0: nice that's happy
1: yeah that was happy which is why i mentioned it erno is still alive and well he sometimes still visits the competitions that are still held annually oh, that's cool he has done very, very well for for himself. And this is a guy who when Tibor, the mm-hmm. entrepreneur, met yeah. him, he said that he just wanted to give him money because he looked like a beggar. Like he was a professor, but he just, yeah, like I just don't think he really cares about money or yeah. the way things look or whatever. So with his money, he has started a lot of like organizations and nonprofits <sighs> to help guy. support like inventors and science and math among wow. youth.
0: Well, we should all go buy Rubik's Cube to support him.
1: Yeah. The most expensive, these are some fun facts according to Cube Lello, India's number one puzzle store.
0: Oh, good.
1: The most expensive Rubik's Cube is called the Masterpiece Cube and designed in 1995 to celebrate the 15th anniversary of the toy created by Fred Kuehler. With Diamond Cutters International, and it's valued at $2.5 million.
0: Wow, I'm looking at it now, and it seems to be crusted with gold and...
1: Yeah, gold and diamonds. And
0: diamonds, yeah, precious about gems.
1: About $2.5 million worth?
0: <laughs> yeah, I would say about that,
1: yeah. And then another, my final, the largest cube in the world is 6 feet 7 inches cubed, created by Tony Fisher in 2019, and it moves just like a normal... Cube, but it's really heavy, so <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work too well. That's cool. Yeah, there's I don't know a lot of history. Yeah. Behind a little.
0: And at this point, like there's four by fours, and and uh, I think it goes up to like twelve by twelve. Oh,
1: there's like a hundred by a hundred. There's hundred by hundred. Yeah, they're That's little many. tiny. Yeah. yeah. And they have like so many different shapes now. Yeah.
0: And... and you can yeah you can have it be incongruous, so like instead of being a cube, it'll transformed to all these different shapes. I wonder if they make the one by one. I bet I could solve that one.
1: Oh, they have like this little snake one. Oh yeah,
0: they have snakes. They have all kinds of shapes. They've really branched yeah. out.
1: So yeah, that's the story behind the iconic cube.
0: Very well done, Brookouts. Thank you all. Thank you all so much for listening. That'll wrap up the episode. We will not roll a dime because we have one more in our rotation. Yeah. Entertainment. Nice. I'm excited. Entertainment, last time I did Jaws, that was the longest and most research I've done by far.
1: What did I do? Oh, I did Snow White. You did Snow White,
0: and it was very interesting.
1: So was the Jaws one.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you.
1: So remember to subscribe and tell a friend.
0: Yeah, and if you could leave a five-star review in the app, that'd be awesome. That's all we got for now, so goodbye.